1: Perform on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how
2: you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and the king of the offseason, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. We have a special $1 monthly promotion right now. Check it out at theathletic.com forward slash Southside. James, what's going on? How you doing?
3: I'm all right. Just uh, looking at long review. I'm I'm reading up on judges uh, because it's voting season.
2: That's good. That's a good call. I need to do that, too, because sometimes I'll go blind and just vote on judges who sound like they have nice names.
3: Yeah, you, you can't. It's not 100 percent effective. It, it seems like it should be. But no, no it's not.
2: <laughs> right. This guy. Wow. She sounds good. She sounds fair. <laughs> uh, right. That's the toughest one of Chicago is all the judges. Um, and my, it's funny. My, um, so my mother-in-law, her father was a Chicago judge. And, you know, I was in like, you know, they're very proud of that. And he he died a long time before I met my wife. And my wife was I think, in high school. But uh, they always there's actually a funny story about that in that the first day um, my mother-in-law was meeting her, her future husband's family. Her dad was on like the front page of one of the papers, one of the defunct papers. He was in the inside of the trip because um, he was a woman's court judge and he was saying that prostitution should be legal. Mm. And this was in like. Uh, late sixties, early seventies. So that was kind of a controversial take, a bit. you know, for the for the woman's court judge, who's you know part of the daily machine. Uh, so she laughs about that. And I've always actually I found a clip in the Trib, but I I've always wanted to go to um, one day when I can go to the library and check out like microfilm and stuff, like to find that you know to see if I can find the front page. She's not sure right. which paper it was, but uh, so that's my Chicago story of the day. The,
3: the reading through this is making me feel like maybe I should just. Go ahead and write uh, a, a capsule on every single uh, player the White Sox sent to Instructs, because it would be shorter than doing this.
2: Than the judges. <laughs> it's a smaller right. roster. You should do like a... judge. Right, you should do like a themed thing, like uh, do it in the style of like, this is the guide to judges, like this is the guide to White Sox Instructs.
3: <laughs> I could have the same little like red flags on every prospect that they have for uh, on justice injustice watch for judges. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. Uh, so you did a story this week about who is staying, not who's staying, who's going, because uh, that's the, the little note I put in there. But you talked about, um, you know, who could possibly be non-tendered, who, you know, um, who just might be gone this year, like uh, out of the guys on the team. So let's go through some of that list. Right. You with- know, starting with the guys, you know, let's start with Edwin and Carnacion.
3: You know, it, it could be a very simple, like, goodbye. <laughs> um, but right. the point I would kind of made was that really there was no design. Like, the the general design or plan was probably not to retain him in any way. I mean, not having a buyout, the fact that you probably have carved out the spot for Andrew Vaughn in the first place. Having the club option was really just, like, in case it turns out he's Nelson Cruz and it's just an elite hitter through age 40. But instead, the opposite happened, and he's probably done as a full-time big leaguer in any reasonable way so um nice that you don't have to spend any more on him i guess but uh i I think at the time i praised the signing of like looking at the roster and knowing they could have like done some platoon mishmash with mccann and zach collins and you know the type of stuff that they usually do on the on the you know on the cheap a bit it was kind of nice that they were having like this luxury item of a big proven dh and instead they kind of wound up Tied to him and continuing to run him out of there, even while he had, uh, you know, career worst struggles. So it it wound up being bad in a way I didn't anticipate.
2: Okay, so he's gone. <laughs> right. So there's twelve million dollars. We're like, uh, we're it, this is like Dave when they're going over the budget, right? When they're trying to figure out how to cut the budget. Looking at all these guys that are gone. Gio Gonzalez has a seven million dollar club option. He's gone.
3: Right. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to explain why he's gone or just move on to the next one.
2: <laughs> I mean, at least he got to pitch for the White Sox, right?
3: Right. I think he even got a win at some point, like as a result of some sort of, uh, you know, technicality of him being some sort of bulk reliever at some game that Ronaldo Lopez, like, pitched like two innings in or something like that. But um, basically, the role he signed up for no longer existed by the time the season finally started. And it was mostly a frustrating game. mish bounce between roles uh where you're like a 10-year starter in the league and they're using you as a swiss army knife but they're giving jonathan Stever starts i'm, I'm sure you love that to his core and then he ended with his shoulder being hurt so it's academic
2: i i think he probably at the end of the season he's like you know what i'm kind of glad i didn't pitch for the white Sox <laughs> my whole career
3: He didn't <laughs> make like, the hey, playoff you roster know, this season, was okay so.
2: yeah well it was a quick playoffs um all right so that's a 19 million we've cut See, look, we're going somewhere, James. Uh, Lurie Garcia, three and a half.
3: I I certainly could see getting rid of him because you do – it's not like you don't have a fourth outfielder. You have Adam Engel, and, you know, you could just put Danny Mendick as a utility infielder and no one's going to die. But given the fact that he's so versatile and he covers both those areas and you wind up – like, at this point, Tim Anderson does have, like, a DL stretch, like, once a year. Um not, not that he's like injury prone or anything, but he's not like, you know, 162 games every single season. You might need a backup shortstop and it's pretty inexpensive. And my argument for keeping him is that without the minor league year, you haven't produced a new Danny Mendick off the assembly line for depth. So you, you might, I don't know who would be your backup utility guy if someone got hurt. So I, I think he's cheap enough and he knows his role enough that you could just keep him and slap him in there and he won't complain about playing time. So I, I think he stays um, because you probably have to replace him in some fashion if you get rid of him. Got
2: it. Okay, so let's move on to some non-tender guys. Carlos Rodon. I can't imagine they tender him.
3: Right, because What's he- both with – I mean, I, I think it's – mostly a function of the fact that this is his last year of arbitration so he'd get like over 6 million dollars or something like that and at that point both the team is contending now and it's not just hey no matter what even if this guy is any good we're just going to whoever's talented uh whoever has some upside we're going to we're going to give him opportunity until we run out of window but like it's a level of money where you actually have to get some production out of him and He's pitched like 40-something innings in the last two years, and there's two major surgeries, and there's no reason to really suspect that he's going to like hold up in some major way. And even if you're like, well, we'll throw him to the bullpen, well, you gave him a little bit of audition to that, and it didn't go well. So I don't know why you'd stake, like, you know, that's free agent reliever money you'd be committing to him for somebody who hasn't shown any success in that role yet.
2: Right. He made, what, like four point? He made almost four and a half this year, right? Right. Well, I mean that that's what he was
3: awarded or you know, the, the deal right, agreed exactly. to to avoid arbitration, so you would expect a raise on that.
2: Right. Um otherwise what about Nomar Mazzara? I would have to that's another place. I mean, like you said, you've got the outfielders. Why would you spend money to keep him around to see if he turns see if he bounces back?
3: I mean, I wouldn't so much even argue that you have another great starting outfielder to shove out there, but I mean if it was if it was very much like the coaching staff, like he just got a bad deal, the strep throat threw him off. And, you know, I think if we give him another run, he might break out. That would all be maybe fine for like one to $2 million. Um, not like seven. <laughs> that's like, that's again, that's, maybe that's not what that's not going to get you George Springer or anything, but that's a significant chunk that we could go toward actually getting a starting right fielder as opposed to like, you know, a roll
2: of the dice. Wasn't isn't didn't um, I read something you wrote about Blake Rutherford having a good camp?
3: Right, and that's that's the argument that gets us put out uh, to several outlets, and you know, you know, I think Jim Callis at MLB.com said he heard similar, but I wouldn't say it's gone from right before the season started. You kind of wonder if what Blake Rutherford is ever going to be. Um, he he's a guy who's not hitting well, who's had multiple seasons in the minors where he's just not hit well. And he's not a center fielder anymore. He's not going to be like somebody who provides you a bunch of value defensively if he's not hitting well and hitting for pop as a corner outfielder he's not really like a guy. So him showing some promise in the uh, you know Schomberg is great now maybe we can think of him as a real prospect now we can maybe be somewhat excited about him in AAA next season. I don't think that gets you towards Let's start him in right field in a year where we're trying to win the division, which I think is pretty plainly the goal next season.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it also seems like right field would be a good place, you know, when they're looking to, to add guys. You know, you're looking to add, you always want to add more talent, things like that. So that's, I don't know what the, what's the free agent, what's free agency look like for outfielders? Are there any names that pop up to, you know, Springer is that your, would be in the your, White Sox your price range?
3: One, like you're perfect fit with a bullet if you can afford it. Like that's a right fielder that's a big bat right can they afford it i don't know <laughs> i'd probably doubt it but like i i would argue that right field is the like the one area too they can upgrade their offense where they don't have like somebody who's set in stone like grandal is here for three more years mongata is clearly your third baseman tim madrigal abreu um the fact that you have andrew vaughn kind of playing in wait unless you want to use him for a trade piece like that's kind of like your biggest internal improvement um uh, positionally, and he's like a first-base DH guy. And you have Robert and Al Menez, Like, right fields. if you want to do something to make your team, your offense, like, demonstrably better, like, right field's literally the only slot to do it in.
2: Well, James, I mean, we could talk about uh, another Cubs-White Sox trade. What about Jason Hayward in right field?
3: He'd be fine. Um, I think it'd be... You're. Are you doing it because you're getting some sort of discount in terms of, like, it wouldn't cost much in terms of prospects in that case you're just eating all the money yes. in which case could you just spend yes. that money better on your own like does he almost already the cost as yes, much as George does. Springer would <laughs> and right. if you're getting cheap on it are you giving up like a serious prospect for Jason Hayward and, and then you're betting a lot on um, you know his improvement kind of sticking um, I, I don't hate it I don't dismiss it out of hand but I wonder if it's really your best option
2: right So, yeah, I I, I was kind of kidding before, more than anything, Um, just because we like to have that as our as our angle. What's a Cubs Sox trade I can float every every odd every off season podcast? I mean, a a
3: Cubs Sox trade is like one of the best things that they did in their entire rebuild. So I don't know if we can dismiss it ever again.
1: Talking about the prospects down
2: in Schaumburg, you talked to uh, three pitchers who were down there, uh, two guys who were drafted in 2019, uh, and let me see if I can remember these names. Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, yes, and of course, Jared Kelly. How do you spell, how do you pronounce, is it Refugio? How do you pronounce that, the city in Texas, Jared Uh, Kelly?
3: The actual Texas way to pronounce it, like Jake Kaplan, when the Astros guy wrote him up, he had like a whole pronouncer guide or something. (laughs) And like... (laughs) um the way kelly pronounces it like a whole th- it's like it's like the sequel to all like people trying to figure out how louise robert says his name because Luis robert just says louise robert but he says it in his accent <laughs> so people think it's like robert or something um like referio is the uh, the pronounce the pronunciation get okay. guy jake gave but in, in jared kelly's mouth it sounds like referio and like i don't i don't know what it means
2: so what have you learned from those guys? I mean, it's, it's kind of an interest. you know, they didn't get to pitch against hitters, which is obviously a huge problem in development. But the uh, if you want to make an upside, it's that they got more time to work on certain pitches, like the third options, their sliders. Is This was a summer of kind of refinement rather than, like, you know, full-on development.
3: Yeah, well, I would argue, like... I mean, maybe it'll turn out being good because they face, like, high-level hitters. Like, you know, I think everybody scoffs at it, but, like, for a 19-year-old to come up and face Nicky Delmonico was, like, pretty hard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Right. I I guess you're right. When I watched watched the alternate site, it was basically, like, Nicky delmonico Chester, covered home run derby against, like, a bunch of guys who were not, like, qualified to face them. Um, But, yeah, I, I thought they got, like, Normally, you're having all these arms that are working and playing on teams and coming out of nowhere. So, like, the thing that you're going to miss in this um, downtime is really, like, the Matt Fosters and Cody Hewers are not going to, like, come out of the woodwork because you didn't really get those guys' time. Those dudes are at their house throwing into a mattress in their backyard. Um, You know, the the next Matt Foster and Cody Hewers. But, like, your actual premium top prospects, these high school guys that they gave millions of dollars to – I thought they actually got pretty concentrated time. Like, those dudes basically went to pitching camp with their top two pitching coaches in the minor league organization. Like, Edward Tiford and and Matt Zaleski are the guys who get cited for every, like, breakthrough that happens. Like, every guy who's kind of popped up in the last couple of years has been like, oh, yeah, uh, Tiford showed me how to do this, or Zaleski taught me a changeup. So they kind of got to have, like, everyday pitching camp with those, like, three guys and Garrett Crochet. And pitching against high-level hitters who um, absolutely hit every single mistake that they made to the moon to kind of show them what they can't get away with. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of a good year developmentally for for Thompson, Dalquist, and and Kelly. It's just that as a, as, a, as far as the depth of the system, you probably didn't make as much progress as you wanted.
2: Right. There's there's definitely development in, in like you said, in in learning is it an educational. Off season, I do think there is something to the you know of traveling starting in other people's parks you know facing hitters you haven't seen before you know that's it's just there's different parts of development so hopefully the good part hopefully for them the good parts outweigh the bad parts you know what they got is better than what they missed yeah like uh, my kids are my kids are better on zoom now they're better <laughs> on uh, figuring out video technology and they're just missing all the the FaceTime with teachers.
3: Dalquist said he was supposed to throw like 100 innings this year. Obviously, that didn't happen, and that's probably will still be his cap, you know, next season. And he right. probably push, push it uh, at least a half season down the road about when you'd actually project and these guys to be ready for the majors because it just their innings caps are not going to like expand enough for them to even be like, you know, advancing up to levels at the end of the season because they're going to be getting shut down
2: it's going to be a play. My minor league system is going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out in the next couple of years. It'll probably be very depressing. Uh, between all the cuts. And, right. Really depressing. Between all the cuts, restructuring, you know, just uh, everything's – the good old days of the minors are over, I guess, if there were good old days. Um, but, you know, we've written about a lot is the, the, the likes of, um, you know, guys that, that spend five, six years in a system and then all of a sudden come up you know, these guys picked in lower rounds that just kind of hang around, hang around till they get it. You know, those guys are probably an endangered species. You know, you're just going to see a lot less of them. So yeah, and
3: that's already like all a third of your bullpen this year. So <laughs> what does that tell you? Yikes.
2: Uh All right, uh, let's close off with some good news. You watching uh, any playoffs? Any other teams? What's what's caught your eye since the White Sox have been eliminated?
3: What caught my eye is that. Um you know between signing the early deal and just not getting the the bat javelin uh copyrighted, Tim Anderson's just like losing out on like these big revenue streams he could uh you know he he could be uh firing off a of, like manny Machado basically just like copied his home run off of brad Keller to a t the, the let's f and go and the, the javelin toss like the, he should be getting residual checks every time something like that happens
2: yeah that would be it. He should have copyrighted it <laughs> that would have been interesting it would have been.
0: The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Did you watch any games last night on uh, Wednesday night? Uh, it was
3: it was a, a birthday party for my mother in the backyard, so it was a lot of like spying through the back window of the house to, to catch it. But uh, d- definitely the, the sense was that um, if, if Kevin Kiermaier is hitting three-run homers for the, for the Rays, that... Um, it's got to be their year, though. At by all respects, like he's their Adam Engel. So I guess I probably thought the same thing when Adam Engel homered in Game One of the uh, the ALDS. My thought was like, "Oh my God, the White Sox might win the World Series if stuff like that's going down." But I,
2: I like what um, Marley Rivera uh, tweeted out that on his scoreboard thing, on his like fun fact on the scoreboard, uh, Kermire refers to himself as quote the biggest Purdue fan in the Tampa Bay area. <laughs> I love I'm that. I'm
3: glad they got that detail out of him uh, in time for the playoffs.
2: Exactly. He's, uh, he, i tell you what, just go up to him and start talking about Joe Tiller, and he just won't stop. he will just Joe Tiller you to death.
3: <laughs> Kevin Kiermaier giving us 45 minutes about basketball on grass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to one football game there, and it was when Northwestern beat them. Unfortunately, the rest of America was a little more focused on another game that night, which was Notre Dame-USC.
3: <laughs> was that the 05 game?
2: Yeah, I was there during the day, and then I, I was, like, typing my story while the Notre Dame-USC game's going on in the press box.
3: I, I was in attendance. Oh, God,
2: and I was listening on the way, and there was a White Sox playoff game that night, too. Or that day, I think. I mean, it might have been beforehand. I don't know. It was it was there, because I remember listening on my drive to Purdue.
3: Hmm, maybe, like, ALCS, because I remember... It was, it was ALCS. I flew out to visit my sister in New York... The, the morning after the usc game and we had to like my sister's in art school in new york and in, uh, in 2005 so we, it was like a it was like an hour-long episode to find someone she knew who owned a television so i could watch game one of the world series because it's just like an oh, entire great. social that's network of i don't even know own a tv people
2: all oh, right people right and people in art school are like t- television sports yeah, what's wrong with you? I think it was Game uh, Four of the ALCS. That makes sense. Yeah, it was Game Four when the White Sox won eight to two. Um, because I went to I only went to one of those games. Yeah, it was Game Four, October fifteenth. Um, I only went to one of those games because the second game, is it game two. Yeah, I think Game Two, I believe. One of them was on Yom Kippur. I know that. Um, so I went to one of the ALCS
3: i just recall uh, i feel like canerico hit a home run in the first inning of every game in anaheim and then it was just like someone throwing nine <laughs> innings to hold a two-run lead for two and a half hours and then it was over it's very stress-free right. <laughs> alcs
2: exactly after once aj reached on uh that dropped uh that dropped that stroke. was the
3: last interesting game of that series and the
2: first yeah really god that a great game all right that's enough enough uh remembering when james uh always good to talk to you in the off season uh try to stay busy don't just wait by your phone for rick for Ren- to call you for his uh his season recap
3: i have a bunch of stuff that well, i have some stuff that uh <laughs> i have one piece from uh from quarantine that i can roll out now um since i have, uh, there's no actual baseball to uh to worry about anymore
2: all right We'll we'll look forward to that. Do you have a last thing? Do you have a Bears prediction for tonight for Thursday night's game?
3: Um, I saw some tweet from JJ Stankovitz last night saying they're going to get blown out. So I I guess that's what I agree with.
2: Blown out. (laughs) I think I had thirty to seventeen. I feel like
3: Bears winning, right?
2: Yeah, right. Um, I they might, I they could. You know, if it wasn't a short week, I think I'd give more credence to like you know a bounce back game for Foles. But I think Nick, I think they'll score more points. The Bucks give up points, so I think they will score more points than obviously the eleven they scored last week. Um, so yeah, you never know. But I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna roll with the Bucks.
3: I was in a, uh for this one. I was in Grandstand yesterday searching for presents for my mother, and uh, it's always whenever you're shopping, um, finding jerseys and women's sizes is always a uh, you know an uphill battle. Um, normally, I go to Grandstand because I can just custom order something if I can't find it uh there was no limit to the level of women's largest mish trubisky jerseys i could find which i thought was a bad sign
2: (laughs) yeah i don't think uh i don't think those are going to be under too many christmas trees or uh hanukkah uh menorahs this year
3: under a tree is basically where they had it hidden in the the layout of that store. like (laughs) it was not, not front row anymore
2: did you get her like one of those leather uh, white socks jackets they sell there? I thought about it. That's a sweet gift. I think your mom would appreciate it.
3: She would. She would also be, uh, be you know toasty in twenty below weather uh, with something like that.
2: I know that's like a total meathead. That's like the ultimate meathead respect. You know, if your mom walks around with a leather white socks coat, no one will screw with her.
3: I I think the only thing that really held me up is I'm pretty sure she has one from the O five World Series.
2: No, she doesn't. Does yeah. she? Oh my God! You gotta get. get oh, you should take pictures whenever they go back. Take pictures of her wearing it. If they ever get back to the World Series? All right, that is enough for today. Uh, thanks, James, for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you download the podcast, rate us, share us with your friends. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get us. Uh, we appreciate it. And we appreciate the listens. Uh, have a good uh, weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Bye.